Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon, everyone. How's everybody doing? Wow, one step closer to Friday. It's only Tuesday, though. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. Our guest isn't in the green room yet. Um, he's in the U.K., so he might have he might be behind schedule, or maybe he got the times kind of messed up because we were trying to coordinate on times. And So if he doesn't come in today, um, I'll just read from Lynn, from Lynn Monet's book, and uh, we'll just kill, you know, do that for the hour. But anyway, um, again, my name is Charlotte. I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal need, we can get to you. It may take us a while. California is a huge state. We've got deserts. We've got mountains. We've got a lot of farmland. So it takes a while to get from point A to point B sometimes. But we will get to you. All right? uh, I have sensitives on staff who can call you and consult with you on what you know, what whatever may or may not be going on, and uh, yeah, whatever may or may, may not be going on with your problems in your home, okay? And then uh, she'll do that, and we'll get right out there within one or two days, okay? So it's it's not like we're not going to get out there at all for a week. We we will get out there within one or two days. Anyway, if you're watching from Facebook today, please be sure to hit that follow button if you haven't done so already. Also. Um, if you give me, you know, if, if if you like what you hear today, give me some thumbs up, happy faces, and all that. Because what it does is it right, it makes it puts us higher in the FYP. Facebook sees that, and it, it moves us up higher to get to, to distribute to more people. Okay, same thing with YouTube. If if you uh, visit our YouTube page or you're watching from YouTube, give me a thumbs up because that's the same thing. Okay, you want to be up in the, you want to be rising through through the FYP to get more exposure, and that's what does it. Also comments if you guys have comments during the show feel free to comment that's what we're here for see the back come join the conversation that's what it's for again that helps us move move through the computerized fyp and all that stuff okay so thank you thank you if you do it all right so we are broadcasting on facebook um, youtube twitter and twitch today and I welcome everybody that, that comes to see the show. It's going to be a great show. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be a great show. But uh, I want to make a couple of announcements. I am uh, – n- next Tuesday is the full moon. It's a sturgeon moon for, in August. And I just, I've decided to do a sturgeon moon meditation. And with that sturgeon moon meditation, you will be able to uh, take off any worries that you have, uh, you know <laughs> – just things like that, any health issues that you might have, you might be able to, you know, ask about that, things like that during the meditation. You know, it's a great time to meditate. And so I'm offering a meditation, and that's two, that's going to be next Tuesday at 7.40 p.m. Pacific. And it's a guided meditation. So if you want to relax for the day and have a good night's sleep or whatever, come on in and meditate, and we'll get you set up with that. I'll show you how I'll show you how to do that that type of meditation. It's also going to lead into something that I want to try in that I want to start doing um, monthly or weekly or, or weekly meditations. 
you know, to where I was, I was thinking about going every day, but I don't know how I'm going to do that. But at least maybe bi-weekly we can do meditations, and it'll be like a, a club, and we'll work on certain things for each meditation. You know, like we might be working on your, you know, we might work on your health. We, we might work on maybe something's going on with in your life that's upsetting you. We can work on that through meditation. So, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> allergies. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking of seriously thinking about doing that, okay? But in the meantime, uh, next week, August 1st, 7.40 p.m. Pacific, we're going to do a moon, a full moon meditation, okay? So it's going to be a sturgeon moon, full moon meditation. And the, because the moon holds a lot of energy for people, and it's, it's a really cool time to meditate, all right? Also, I'm teaching a psychic development class, a psychic development class one, where it's a basic class that teaches you how to open and close the psychic door so that negative stuff doesn't come in because a lot of people who <clears throat> a lot of people who um, try to try out their abilities for the first time they'll open that door but they won't close it and the next thing you know there's all kinds of stuff coming in all right it's not all going to be happy 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 it's going to be some negativity so what my class teaches is i teach you how to open and close that door i teach you how to meditate i teach you how to leave your body and go elsewhere and come back in um we go to the spirit library we go we, we go to your spirit object we go to the spirit animal and you get to meet all them including your spirit guides so if you're interested in that class come on down sign up that's at the california haunts meetup page i have links to both those events down at the bottom of the description for this show. So if, if you go to that description, you'll see the links. Um, it doesn't cost anything to sign up for the meetup group itself. So, you know, there you have it. Okay, again, uh, YouTube. If you're watching from YouTube, be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already. And take a look around the YouTube. YouTube's got six, uh, more than 681 videos over there, all different topics. And what I've done is I've taken those videos and I put them into different category folders. So it's a lot easier to find. Otherwise, when you go in there and look at the front page of the YouTube, you suddenly realize that it's mind-boggling. It's mind-numbing. It's, my, it's mind-numbing for me. So that's why I decided to take things and start putting them in categories. Uh, if you're into like what we're what we're going to be discussing today, there's a file for that. If you're into the, the medium Nancy Matts on Friday, she's got her own file. You can just go in there and check and you know check those out. So everything's under file. You know ancient history, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think it makes it a lot easier for you guys. Okay, all right. So I just made the announcement. You know, we're on Facebook under California Haunts. We're on YouTube under California Haunts. California Haunts Radio. We're under California Haunts on Twitter. We're, I believe we're under Cal Haunts on Twitch. We're under California Haunts at TikTok. And I also have a page on Instagram under Ghosty Gal. It's all lowercase. So you can find us everywhere. If you think you have a you know, if you have a question about this kind of stuff or a comment or you know, or you think you might have something going on in, in your in your in your home or or place of business, that's how you get a hold of us. You can go on all you know, all those pages. And there's all kinds of ways to get a hold of us. Okay, again, my allergies are really bad today, but I'm really excited about our guest today, uh, Nigel Watson. Uh, we're going to be talking about you know UFO abductions and things like that here in the U.S., and I think we're going to be talking about some famous cases as well. So I'm really excited to talk with him. He is in the green room right now. So without further ado, I'm going to bring him out. Here we go. Let's hope for the best. He's over in the U.K. <laughs> you never know. Right. Hello. Hello, sir. Hi. How are you? I'm good, yeah. Sort of, uh, just uh, interested in uh, you know, being able to be on your program and talk about alien abductions. 
Fantastic. How is the weather in the UK today? Um, it's quite sunny at the moment, but cool. And it's sort of raining sometimes as well. So, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's not, not very warm and it's not really very summery either. So, uh, and all the children have gone on uh, school holidays now. So <laughs> we're going to get a very damp school holiday at the moment. Yeah. Well, that's something that I remember of visiting uh, England uh, in the month of August is that It'll rain like the Dickens, and then boom, it's all sunny. So this is it's, it's kind of like a cool thing, you know. Yeah, you can never tell. It's uh, very variable. So, you know. Tell me about you, sir. What got you into this topic and all that good stuff? Um, well, how I got interested in the subject is uh, um, something that uh, it's a subject that struck me quite a long time ago. Uh, when we have the moon landings in 1969, I got really interested in the subject and uh, I'd cut out everything. I saw the newspapers about any of the Apollo missions and, mm -hmm. um, you know, newspapers and I'd watch all the uh, news programs and anything about space travel, really. And um, <clears throat> that kind of got me drifting into a bit of astronomy and then at the library, we had a lot of um, UFO books as well, um, particularly um, books by George Adamski and some of the other contactees mm -hmm. said they'd actually met aliens back in the 1950s. So, you know, they were way ahead of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, you know. So those stories fascinated me because obviously everybody was interested in space exploration and mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about extraterrestrial life. And um, Eric Von Daniken had his book out, Chariots of the Gods, right. which was so um, serialised in in our national newspapers. So I obviously cut all those stories out as well. So um, it was kind of like a, a mixture of things, really, um, things about space and astronomy. And UFOs become a kind of natural progression. Um, but I also read, you know, more serious UFO books by the likes of um, Donald Kehoe and the more um, people who are more specifically <clears throat> interested in um, actual UFO sightings as extraterrestrial craft and they ted tended to shy away from uh, contactees really because they thought they were too outlandish and silly. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be scientific and get proof so I, I kind of Went, went in the sort of scientific direction, really. And I started um, um, doing my own investigations and setting up a UFO group. Um, <clears throat> I lived in Northern England, uh, somewhere called Scunthorpe. And uh, we set up a group in the early 70s. And uh, I only knew one or two people interested in the subject. So when we first had a meeting, I was quite surprised to see about 30 people turn up. So <laughs> the group got a good start and we, we kept going for several years, really, and we'd get um, guest speakers. Um, but we were 
quite uh, open about the different aspects of the subject. Um, we didn't just look at UFO cases, we looked at other things like meditation and mm -hmm. I suppose the spiritual implications of alien contact because, you know, a lot of people had lots of other interests. And um, so we kept the group going for quite a few years. And we also went on a trip to um, Warminster and uh, Glastonbury, places down south, um, because particularly Warminster in the sort of 60s was a massive UFO window area. And uh, there's lots of sightings there, lots of excitement and publicity. But we kind of went there in the early 70s when when it kind of drifted away from the excitement of it all. <laughs> so we were a bit uh, Johnny-come-latelys, really. But, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting actually visiting somewhere that's been a, a UFO hotspot. So, mm -hmm. um, so from there, you know, I, I carried on doing my own investigations, really. And, um, you know, met quite a few fascinating people. But um, I think it's one of these subjects where you think you're getting somewhere with it and then it'll throw a loop on you and then there's more new information or something changes and there's different ideas. Because I think when I first became interested, it seemed obvious that these were spaceships, you mm -hmm. know, and probably would come for you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. So that seemed logical. But again, the evidence of that is another thing entirely. And, um, you know, that's where um, even your own local investigations, you can only go so far, and especially with lights in the sky. Um, you know, even if it is something... Um, esoteric or different it's hard to pin that down because there's so many other things going on in the sky um, and I think that's a problem with the current UAP interest in that um, although they've rebranded UFOs as an identified anomalous phenomena um, a lot of them are, are still you know lights in the sky and I think the problem with that is Although some people think they're showing you know, really strange characteristics, um, it depends on witness testimony, really, and there's not that much um, physical evidence to suggest um, you know, they are sort of alien ships of any kind. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it is hard pinning down the evidence, really, and I think that's what the latest Pentagon hearings are going to be about, you know, whether there is any physical evidence, uh, who's got it and what have we done with it. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a bit of a minefield tracking down information, really. And, and like I was saying, just a light in the sky can uh -huh. take an investigator because, you know, you need to look for other witnesses, what was on you know, what was in the sky at the time in terms of astronomy, uh, local airfields, um, balloons, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's not not easy. <laughs> Absolutely. When, when, when you look at these uh, abductions, do you see a common thread in them at all? Uh, um, 
Well, I think with the abduction cases, they opened up a no new channel of investigations, really. Mm -hmm. And um, I suppose um, because I was interested in the subject in the early 70s, mm -hmm. uh, it was still quite a new uh, field of study, really. Um, and the most outstanding one was, you know, the Betty and Barney Hill case, because mm -hmm. John Fuller had published the... Um, interrupted journey book and you know that's a sort of classic book about um abductions and not just that, <clears throat> that <clears throat> sorry not just some fetching and barney hill but just just putting the uh, subject uh, in the uh, arena um making it um worthy of study really because there have been lots of stories of abductions, but they were mainly, <coughs> sorry, <It's laughs> okay. mainly, mainly rumours or stories from South America. So um, the Betty and Barney Hill case, because it occurred in the United States, um, mm -hmm. was easier to... Um, get information about really, and it was quite thoroughly investigated. So, um, and I think um, even the American investigators at first were a bit wary of it. Mm -hmm. it journalists like um, John Fuller to actually write an old book about it. I think the, um, the American organizations like APRO and NICAP rather conservative about such cases mm -hmm. and I think they were quite frightened to even um, mention abductions. I think the floodgates opened with the Anthony Villas-Boas case which was a case of a man being abducted in 1957 mm -hmm. in Brazil and, and that seemed to make people look for other abductions and then the Betty and Barney Hill case came along um, because it was able to be studied by an American investigator or other investigators, um, and that we had access to Betty and Barney Hill as well. It, it just became something that um, uh, made a big uh, splash, really, in the media when it all became public. And um, <clears throat> in a way, my book, Captured by Aliens, kind of looks at the Betty and Barney Hill case in mm -hmm. the context of um, the South American cases and other uh, abduction cases that were kind of going on around that period. But, you know, theirs was far more um, complex, really. Mm -hmm. And I, I think another aspect of their um, case is the fact it had missing time and the hypnosis which were factors that hadn't been uh, elements of uh, abduction cases or any UFO case really up to that period and through hypnosis they found out a lot more about what might have gone on during the missing time after they'd seen a UFO. Um, in Britain though 
Um, we're not so keen on having hypnotic regression or hypnosis, and it's actually sort of banned by the British UFO Research Association because I think you know it can muddle the subject really. But mm -hmm. with the Betty and Barney Hill case, because it was almost unique at that time, and because Barney had suffered a lot of stress and trauma, mm -hmm. um, hypnosis was actually used by a, a sort of professional um, medical person rather than in the years since a lot of amateurs have been involved with hypnotizing people which is a bit frightening really so mm -hmm. uh, I think with a veteran Barney Hill case with them having Dr Benjamin Simons um, you know thoroughly hypnotically regretted regressing them separately as well I think he got more information out of them, although even Dr. Simons was uh, kind of sceptical of the reality of what they actually experienced. Mm -hmm. but, uh, although he was sceptical, um, I think uh, Betty Hill in particular felt that she had had a real experience and, um, and promoted her case for, for the rest of her life. Do you think it helps in these cases? And I know that, you know, being, being a paranormal investigator, that when I go out on scene to do like a preliminary investigation, it helps to have more than one person that has witnessed the stuff because it makes it more credible. In, in the case of Betty and Barney Hill, even, you know, even though they had to do it, you know, through hypnosis to get the stuff out, once they started doing that, the stories were similar. Yeah. Um, I think that's an, another factor in that. A lot of abduction cases just involve one person. Mm -hmm. With a Betty and Barney Hill case, obviously there were two people. So, you know, it would have been harder for them to have kind of made up a story. But with them being mm -hmm. a married couple and with them being hypnotically regressed something like two or three years after the event, you know, with been a lot of time for them to actually talk about it and perhaps. Mm -hmm. You know, little details had rubbed off onto each other. So in a way, separating them wasn't quite as good a, a thing as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. I think also that um, Betty had had a lot of dreams and nightmares after um, her experience. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to be a factor in that a lot of the things she dreamt about, she recorded under hypnotic regression. So whether the hypnotic regression was actually taking her just to her own fantasies and dreams or to what might have actually happened. Mm -hmm. It's a complex factor. And I think that's the thing about abduction cases. So you have to know a bit about mm -hmm. um, human psychology, really, and where you can't just say, oh, it was aliens. I think, in the, you know, there's no complex situation. And I think um, John Keel sort of a pioneer investigator always said you know find out what the person had for breakfast mm -hmm. and you know we should look at the wider context of the person's experiences and often you find um, um people who have a, a, a close encounter often mm -hmm. um have had a history of ufo sightings and often afterwards get a lot more sightings and experiences um in particular um 
Betty Hill after after the encounter still saw lots of UFOs and strange beings and I think a lot of people thought she was a bit too excited about mm -hmm. you know normal things in the sky that other people would have said oh it's just a, a an aircraft whereas she felt mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, perhaps um, I think she was probably a bit fantasy prone or a bit um, geared up to see aliens, really. But I suppose people would say if you've had a traumatic experience and had an alien abduction, you know, you'd, you'd act the same way. Absolutely. But what, what I find so interesting about their story is that he was a no-nonsense kind of guy. I mean, he's not just going to, like like you say, he's not the kind of guy that's going to make up these kind of stories. I mean, he thought really logically about everything in his yeah. life. Yeah. I think um, Bernie uh, was the one who didn't want to talk about it, basically, and he wanted to put a lid on it. And it was Betty who was keen to get the story out. And um, I think the thing with Bernie is he had a lot of other uh, health issues and things. So that's the reason why he had hypnotic regression, was mm -hmm. to kind of um, reduce the stress in his life that he was experiencing. And um, I think people have listened to the hypnotic regression sessions because they're tape recorded, um, say, you know, they, they both uh, genuinely sound very traumatised by mm -hmm. what they are recalling. So I don't think they ever made up the story or it was a hoax. I think they both generally had traumatic um, feelings and experiences related to whatever occurred on, mm -hmm. on about 1961. <clears throat> Sorry. It's so hard nowadays because back then, I mean, like you say, it would take a lot for them to create the, that that magnetism thing that was on the car, you know, when, when they were testing yeah. for that. And today yeah. it makes it a little harder because our technology is so vast right now that people can fake this stuff and you don't and and and, and you don't realize it. So it has made the job of the UFO, you know, any investigator harder to go out and investigate these things. Mm. Yeah, um, I think also it's interesting that with the Betty and Barney Hill case, uh -huh. they, um, the record being stopped in the road by a flying saucer was blocking the road, and they were kind of carried on board, whereas the kind of cases Bud Hopkins uh, uh -huh. has investigated, people have been beamed up from their beds. And um, a lot of those sort of cases, you know, um, can be explained by uh, things like sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. But uh, whereas Betty and Barney Hill certainly didn't suffer sleep paralysis because we were driving down a road in the middle of the, the night. So, uh, you know, we would have had an accident if anything like that had happened. But we still don't really know what happened the missing time period of about two hours 
in, uh, were they really taken on board or did they, uh, did they just get lost on the back roads and for two hours and missing time wasn't actually missing at all? <clears throat> well, that's an interesting thing because it was only, a, I think, a few weeks afterwards that somebody suggested they had missing time. So um, I don't think they really knew there was that much missing time until later. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's become a theme of all abduction cases now, especially those of, say, uh, Bud Hopkins. And <clears throat> so, um, you know, the, the framework of their abduction was completely different from a lot of the other ones. I suppose the nearest would be the Travis Walton one in that he was kind of zapped up into a, a flying saucer uh, witnessed by his logging mates a mm -hmm. few years later. But um, first didn't involve anything like being zapped up into a craft and suddenly appearing on a, an operating table. But, but like the later cases, it does involve... Um, the aliens medically examining them and being fascinated by Barney's false teeth. And um, Betty seems to think, yeah, she had a, a needle in her stomach and she seems to think it was some kind of um, pregnancy test. But um, for, again, Barney felt more like a, a victim of mm -hmm. the aliens of investigating him which a lot of people seem to feel, whereas Betty felt more on equal terms with the aliens. She spoke to one of the ones she thought was a leader who showed her the famous star map on the wall. And um, <clears throat> she um, even tried taking a, a book from the uh, flying saucer to prove that it was something real, but we wouldn't let her take it with her. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> In a way, uh, the experience reflects a, quite a lot of her own personalities. You know, Barney felt threatened and, you know, being more of a lab animal, whereas uh, Betty seemed more confident and on equal terms with them. So, um, you know, so I think you have to bear that in mind when people talk about abduction experiences because... You know, some people think, you know, they've really improved their lives and they're an important element okay. to improving their lives, whereas other people regard them as demonic and, you know, frightening elements of their life. <clears throat> you know, I think like um, Willie Strober's uh, experiences are very much on a horror spectrum of things, which mm -hmm. is surprising considering is a horror writer so <laughs> perhaps the type of aliens you get are the type of aliens that you fear the most right want the most you know do you think there's multiple that there's multiple races of aliens out there that it's not just a graze um well there's different types of aliens did you say um yeah, yeah i think um we've with that in Barney Hill, the, the aliens say so were kind of um, kind of shortish humanoid, more more um, 
like normal humans, but with slightly different eyes and uh, heads, really. But <clears throat> generally, we weren't too different from our own physique. Whereas over time, we've got the greys. And there again, it's something that they came along more in the 80s and 90s. And I think a big influence of that was um, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where it has a spindly, spindly little lady and it's at the end of the film. And it, it seems to be a running theme that the aliens have become more like these spindly grey creatures who are... Um, and not very friendly, or, or some people even think they're almost like uh, automatons or something, not really, of it might be a combination of technology and biology. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think Betty Banny Hill's aliens seemed a bit more like aliens out of a science fiction film of that period, really. And aliens do go through different fashions as well. You know, we get robots and giant ones and even really small aliens and also different countries have different types of aliens i think the south americans tend to have more aggressive aliens there's a lot of old stories of brazilian uh, witnesses seeing a ufo land and then actually being in a fist fight with mm -hmm. an alien whereas you don't get that uh, in, in north america or or even Europe, and I think um, some people say that, say in the UK, you're more likely to have a kind of more Nordic aliens um, in, in any abduction cases. But having said that, in Britain, we haven't really had that many famous cases. Uh, there's Alan Godfrey, who was a policeman, who, like Betty and Barney Hill, came across a, a UFO in in the middle of a road and he under hypnotic regression found he was being sort of looked at by aliens i think some of them had sort of dog-like heads and were quite frightening but <laughs> i think that's another factor with hypnotic regression sometimes you know people are very traumatized so it's hard to get a very clear picture of what really went on and i think if you listen to some of bud hopkins's tapes he has to sort of coax people and calm them down, and it can take a very long time to get mm -hmm. any real information out of of people. And you don't really know whether, you know, by doing that kind of probing, you're actually creating the story rather than <coughs> uncovering it. So I think um, the whole matter of alien abductions needs... Um, I think it needs, you know, very qualified and professional people to investigate them, really. And, you know, that's a very you know, difficult thing to do because we only have to look at the UAP cases and how difficult it is just to pin down lights in the sky. So to actually do a thorough sort of abdu alien abduction investigation could, you know, could be very beyond the resources of most UFO groups really right. to you know to do it justice. How long did it take you to do the research for your book? Um I think I did it over quite a long period of time, like two or three years really. And um 
I, I kind of it's a, got a forward by Peter Rogerson who died um, before the book came out, and uh, he he wrote for something called Magonia Magazine, which I also wrote for, and it was edited by John Rimmer, and uh, it was a magazine that started in the nineteen sixties, but <clears throat> in the nineteen seventies what's called um, the Merseyside UFO Bulletin before it became Magonia. And uh, basically, it was a lot of it was inspired by John Keel and his talk about ultra-terrestrials. Mm -hmm. So we um, looked at cases in terms of, you know, looking at cases where there were more um, psychological elements in them, I suppose. And... You know, John Keeler pointed out that um, a lot of abductions or encounters were very kind of um, ghostly and mystical um, and not anything like, uh, you know, meeting a real nuts and bolts spacecraft. And mm -hmm. so kind of looked at, um, I suppose, what we call the Magonian view of ufology, uh, the psychological and sociological impact uh, of a sub subject and its influences. Um, so um, we looked at sort of the influence of films, you know, like I said, Close Encounters, I think, did influence a um, subject quite a lot. <clears throat> um, Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And, uh, you know, in the 1950s, there's a constant feedback between the films and the uh, reports because George Adamski's stories are almost like straight out of the Davy Erston still and <laughs> movies of that period. And, and in fact, if you read George Adamski's books now, the um, spaceships are very much of that period, very clunky and mechanical. Whereas if we look at more modern day abduction accounts, we're more, a lot more sleeker um, in terms of technology. <laughs> so mm -hmm. perhaps um, some people would say that's because your imagination is playing with things that are already in the society. But, right. Uh, I suppose you could also argue that if if they are aliens, they could just manipulate your mind to make you, you know, perceive things in a way that you'd be happy to perceive and expect. You know, so it, there is a sort of top-down or bottom-up approach to that. So um, I suppose, uh, you know, if if they are genuinely aliens, they can manipulate our minds anyway. So it's very difficult for us to to actually um, look, uh, you know, beyond our own human understanding. Absolutely, I was just thinking while you were talking too, as far as encounters. I mean, you, you mentioned like Brazil and those places. And I know for years, even growing up and, and reading books about this stuff or reading magazine articles, a lot of that stuff was taking place in Brazil, and you didn't hear about a lot of it here in the U.S., where now it's kind of shifting to where you're hearing more and more about it over, you know, like in the U.S. Is that because uh, maybe they're more open to it over in Brazil than, than, than they were here, do you think? Um, 
Yeah, it could be. I think uh, it it depends on the sort of uh, people who are interested in the subject as well. I think in South America there was a lot of enthusiastic investigators, mm-hmm. and we we also you know wrote up their reports, and we often ended up in uh, the British Flying Saucer Review and in American publications like APRO's Bulletin and everything. So I think um, there's good communication between the continents and also there's sort of enthusiastic investigators. But uh, I was just reading something the other day about UFO statistics and somebody was saying the problem with a lot of the South American cases is that there's not much quality control, so right. you know. <laughs> right. I suppose that's a problem of stand, you know, looking at stat- statistics or uh, any group of cases from different societies. Mm-hmm. Some, some, some UFO groups wouldn't touch some cases with a barge pole, whereas others will openly want to investigate and embrace that case so um i think you know there is a problem about there's no particular set standards really and you know sometimes cases can escalate where somebody says to see a light in the sky then a bit later on they see a disc and then you know start meeting entities Mm -hmm. i think Sometimes exposure to investigators can sort of pollute the field. I think that Betty and Barney Hill met Walter Webb from NICAP early on, and he could well have influenced them by talking about South American cases because he'd been involved in uh, finding out about some of those cases, and he'd spoken to them about it. Plus, um, Betty Hillard read uh, a, a book by Donald Kehoe, and I think she sort of investigated the old subject after her mm-hmm. encounter. So that kind of pollutes the field a bit as well. But you can't really blink her witnesses from what's going on around, and I suppose it's an actual you know, for people to read up on the subject. But I think that's a problem it can sort of escalate and sometimes you know investigators can be perhaps overzealous and then start encouraging people to to have more more encounters i think that's a bit of a problem with um, bud hopkins perhaps i've mentioned him a few times but i suppose he was one of the major people to put uh, put the subject into the mainstream mm-hmm. and, I think with his use of hypnotic regression and his theories about uh, hybrid breeding programs and things like that, kind of they they had a heavy influence on the subject. But um, mm-hmm. I suppose now it, it's there's no real evidence for it. That's a problem. I suppose you need somebody to promote a certain angle uh, to get the attention, but whether there's the uh, actual evidence to support it is something else. And although like we, we were keen on the writers of John Keel, it was a bit like John Fuller in that they were um, professional journalists, so we had to make money from their writing. Right. I think John Keel 
was quite keen on cases that other sort of serious investigators might not have bothered with. But I think it kind of opened our eyes to, you know, the possibility of things beyond the ETH, but perhaps it created other problems by saying the ultra-terrestrials from other dimensions, because that's even harder to prove, you know, because mm -hmm. if, if aliens can shape-shift and come through portals or put, turn up at window areas, you know, they're so elusive in that sense, and you're never going to pin them down, are you? Instead you know? <laughs> <laughs> of trying to get out of the nuts and bolts, flying saucers, if you know, if there are any, or or if there are any in Area 51, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, I was thinking as you were talking, too, about um, the Mojave incident and what happened afterwards and, and what they witnessed in their bedroom, you know, with these aliens you know, seemingly coming through walls and stuff to take them with them. Mm. And it's just, it's just like you say, that, that the after effects of these things are fascinating because it's either people have nightmares afterwards so maybe they're still being taken or whatever. But there's also the people that physically see them come into their homes to take them. Yeah. Um, I think the, the problem with a lot of physical evidence we've had so far are things like rubble and things. So there's a fa famous Murray Island case at the very start of, sort of UFOs in 1947, where there's um, <clears throat> people said a load of, they'd seen some flying saucers above a boat. Mm -hmm. This sort of slag was dropped from a flying saucer, one of the flying saucers, and it killed their dog and damaged their um, boat. And I think Kenneth Arnold actually um, was paid by uh, Raymond Palmer to investigate the story. And um, really, um, I think, it was a kind of made-up story, and but the um, United States Air Force, I think, were involved in it as in, in trying to find out something about it. Mm -hmm. and, and two Air Force people did collect some of this uh, uh, rubble or whatever it was that fell from a flying saucer, but they died in an air crash coming back to base. So it had kind of fairly um, tragic consequences. But um, I think that was a problem with any kind of UFO evidence, particularly in the early days. That people turned up with all sorts of things and said that all, you know, people were hoaxing each other and things like that. And mm -hmm. there wasn't any real, it was one of these subjects that could have easily fizzled away. And, um, you know, it's surprising how many cases do involve just rocks and rubble, really. Uh, right. This famous South American case like that, the Ubertuba case, where um, I think the um, material was eventually sent to the United States, but it's very hard when um, you haven't got anything really solid or, or the kind of solid evidence you get seems rather un-extraterrestrial. You know? Right, right. Now, when you talk about evidence, what kind of evidence would it take to convince to to convince you that somebody was actually taken? Um, well, I, I think the problem is I've got more sceptical over the years, and so I think it would have to be an actual, you know, spaceship really, or something like on the cover of a book. Um, 
I think it's it's quite interesting though that when these um, Chinese balloons came over the United States and got mm-hmm. shot down, they actually did seem like solid things, whereas most kind of UFO sightings are very insubstantial and fleeting and aircraft never get to shoot them down or anything. And, um, you know, I, I, I think um, it would have to be a, a solid space spacecraft, but because I don't really feel like um, there are such things as a solid spacecraft coming here, because mm-hmm. the main question then is where are they coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, the old contactee days, um, you could believe that we came from Venus or Mars or elsewhere in the solar system. But now, um, you know, we don't, we have to put them either further back into the solar system or then beyond our solar system. And then you, it means we'd have to come light years away. So mm-hmm. the type of spaceship we might have wouldn't be anything like something we invented for you know, 1950s flying saucer movies. So, you know, uh, um, so it would be hard really to find any real evidence. I think that's a problem with like the Roswell thing. We're assuming the flying, mm-hmm. if there is wreckage in Area 51 or all these things, people are assuming it's some sort of spacecraft. But even when... Um, you look at the original story and the kind of wreckage we were, we were finding was like tinfoil and bits of like, mm-hmm. some wood eye beams and things, which is highly unlikely for anything to travel, you know, anywhere beyond our own atmosphere. Right. I think that opens up a no kind of worms really about what, um, ob- you know, objects might be coming here. Um, <laughs> I suppose... Um, those who are sort of like SETI um, experts of search for extraterrestrial intelligence have always been looking for radio um, signals. But I think even some of them are persuaded because of an interest in new apps, they've been persuaded perhaps to look a bit more closer to home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, you know, we do, there are a lot of asteroids and meteorites and meteors. Um, swanning about in the solar system. So uh, one theory might be that intelligent species would send out spacecraft, you know, remote-controlled spacecraft mm-hmm. um, to other solar systems. Um, so, you know, hidden amongst our own solar system, you know, there could be craft or evidence of craft that have passed by. But you know, but, but again, is you know speculation really because mm-hmm. you could say, um, you know, it, it's a bit like searching the beach for just finding that little grain of sand, uh, uh, and that's a problem with um, looking for radio signals or actual craft. So I think it's mm-hmm. a very, I think. The other subject, you've got to be patient, really, and and just, you know, take what you can from a subject. You know, I, I just find it fascinating because of the different stories that come along of the new developments, like disclosure. Mm-hmm. It's been something that's been on the ball for a long time. And, 
I'm skeptical it will actually get anywhere, but it'd be it's just interesting to see what might come up. And I think people are becoming a bit more open-minded about the subject. And you know, even if people don't believe in it, I think more skeptics who can investigate the subject actually add something to it and it's become more of a, a sort of academic pursuit as well but quite mm -hmm. a lot of academic studies on abductions and uh, witness um, you know, testimony and things like that so uh, i think um it, it, it's a fascinating area really and even things like sleep paralysis um if if it's no more than that um it's still a, mm -hmm. a that was never thought about or studied before alien abductions came along so i think there are lots of elements of uh, human psychology that could be studied because of a subject and what people believe you know so that's just one area really and there's lots of other areas really where mm -hmm. so you go from looking at outer space to the inner mind really and that's what's sort of in, intriguing about the subject really that there are so many different facets to it and there's lots of different characters and mm -hmm. i suppose living in the uk we're kind of like spectators to what's going on in the United States because mm -hmm. obviously the other subjects seem to be on the boil over there rather than in Europe or anywhere else. So, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things though nobody will be satisfied with the answers and that's why it's continued to be a mystery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you look at the cases that that that, that you cover in your book, um, I, I know we talked about Barney and Biddy Hill, and a little bit about uh, Willie Stryber, and another another case. What which one really stands out to you as being the most credible? Um, I think I think the Betty and Barney Hill case mm -hmm. is probably the most credible and pivotal but most frustrating as well <laughs> and uh, I think the, the problem with a lot of other cases are um, you know we tend to be more like sleep paralysis and, and uh, right. not have much, you know physical evidence and uh, I think uh, with a Betty and Barney Hill case because um, the case was followed for so long and there's been quite a lot of writing and study mm -hmm. and talk about it. I think uh, you can look at it from lots of different angles, really, and either use it just to say, I think that's a problem. You can't just dismiss these things as just, oh, well, it's somebody's imagination or something, because mm -hmm. you think, well, even if it is somebody's imagination, you know, it's had a powerful impact on on. A society and popular culture, you know, their case was made into a film, yeah, UFO right. and right. um, it, it had a strong influence on other people. I'm sure it probably influenced, you know, people like Spielberg and other directors. And um, so, and also it had a, a quite powerful influence on our subject itself. I think it probably set off the whole thing about 
alien greys and abductions anyway. And I think also for quite credible witnesses as, as well, they're not, um, you know, fant well, Betty might have been a fantasist afterwards, but she was very persuasive and eloquent. And uh, I think that's another element of the case. She was able to um, talk about it and um, be quite influential to, uh, in terms of what she told people and how it became a book and a film. And, right. uh, you know, and I think that's why I kind of centre on that case. But mm -hmm. um, it, it's kind of like I think somebody else has just written a book about it, um, about the case as well in terms of the kind of politics of a period. They were very much community-spirited people were involved in, you know, black rights and social issues, and Betty was a social worker. So they were very much in the flux of um, things going on in the wider political context as well. So um, I think that that's something else uh, about the case, that it has all those other elements, whereas... Um, a lot of other cases, uh, although can be quite fascinating, Whitley Strober's story is obviously mm -hmm. got lots of different chapters, I suppose. But, uh, you know, um, a lot of the cases it's kind of a, a, are either one-off instances or not, not that convincing, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or some people just do it for a like, short term. Mm -hmm. And then we go on to something else. So, do you think now, as opposed to back when this happened with Betty and Barney Hill, do you think now people are more open to coming out and talking about this stuff? Um, yes, I think certainly people are now. I think it's easy for people to laugh at anyone who said they saw UFOs, and uh, you know, in the nineteen fifties, you had you know the little green men and lots of cartoons. And often UFO witnesses were depicted uh, as being drunks or seeing something, you know, when they've been leaving the pub. And, uh, you know, I think the latest thing to uh, you up somebody of the um, release of a video from the US Navy aircraft and everything has sort of put, put it on the agenda. But and I don't think people are laughing so much. But I think the problem now is that people are kind of over-regging it and mm -hmm. zealous about things in Area 51. And there's lots of whistleblowers who are coming out repeating stories that have been um, outed as hoaxes and, and, and not credible. So I think the problem is even for people being influential in the in, in um, political circles in America, have repeated a lot of very dodgy stories. Um, I looked at something not long ago was revealed that there was a top secret report on, you know, physiological effects of flying saucers, but mm -hmm. it was a, mainly a hypothetical thing about the influence of things on human body by something like you know, flying saucer, but. Mm -hmm. All the cases it lists, um, a lot of them aren't really credible, and you'd, you could debate 
the quality of a date of it the hypothesis is based on. So, uh, you know, because a lot of cases like the Cash Landrum case, um, Landrum case was um, they said were affected by radiation from mm-hmm. flights also, but if if it, if it had been affected by that level of radiation, it would have killed them rather than just cause their hair to drop out, you know. So, right. um, you know, but there again, it's a debatable case. And I think, you know, whatever case you bring up, somebody will come and support it. But uh, <laughs> I think the problem is at the moment, trying to get disclosure, but, you know, what are people trying to disclose, you know, like if there's... Nothing in Area 51, you know, how can you prove it? You know, you, right. to, you know, if a, if a Pentagon says there's nothing in Area 51, well, people would just say, well, you know, that's what we're telling you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know so praising secrets out of, uh, out of that sort of scenario is virtually impossible. I think whatever uh, political pressures put on things, Nobody's going to be really satisfied, really. In fact, I, I thought it would be a good idea for a, a plot for a film where the government's so uh, pressurised to come up with the UFO evidence that we actually build a flying saucer and bring it <laughs> and then have it on display in Area 51 <laughs> and then satisfy people's <laughs> curiosity. Because I think that's another thing, because the Freedom of Information Act uh, in America and then different uh, releases elsewhere in the world, people put a lot of pressure on government to release all the documentation. Right. And all the documents come out. It's all a load of bureaucratic rubbish, really. And, that, you know, it, it, there's a lot of material there, but it's not very thoroughly investigated. So people then spent years getting the governments to open up all the files just to find that their information isn't much better than, say, the stuff in NICAP files or the British UFO Research Association files. So I think that's, you know, that, that's been, that was a kind of major disappointment of this of the last few decades. Um, like people like David Clark in Britain, uh, help release all the uh, British files from uh, made them available in the public records office. So now everyone can read all the Ministry of Defence files, but I'm not sure if anybody's actually bothered because it's not much more than what you get in um, flying saucer magazines of a period, mm-hmm. really. You know, uh, but that's either because the government wasn't that interested or there's been an different levels of investigation where, you know, some cases that might have been really enigmatic or mysterious were probably investigated at a different level altogether and filed away. Um, but I think 99% of the time the government had other things to do really and it took a lot of um, its stance on the subject from America, really. So whatever American uh, security forces like the CIA and everything thought about flying saucers, uh, we we just echoed them because, you know, thought, well, you know, they know best. Right, right. (laughs) And, uh, 
you know, I suppose one of the most famous uh, cases in Britain, the Rendlesham Forest case. Yes. It was actually experienced by US servicemen. So even our best case is something that was sort of experienced on almost American territory in Britain. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's another quite complex case, really, probably as complex as the Betty and Barney Hill case. Mm -hmm. But then um, lots of allegations of a landed flying saucer and things like that, but, and um, stories of binary code and all that sort of thing, but no, no solid evidence, really. And so, right. you know, there's an old load of people saying, just mistaking a lighthouse and larking about right through to people say you know we had some sort of contact with a an extraterrestrial craft so uh i suppose um it's it's down to what your own inclinations really as much as any evidence and you know evidence is is quite in short supply really with this subject mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think they're ever going to come clean, you know, that the, or that the government has more in their possession than they, they, they let on? Like you talk about, you know, that there, there's very little evidence. So do you think that, because I mean, there's always rumors of, of the agreement that the government made and all this with the aliens. So do you think that they've got more stuff from these aliens than, than they let on? Um, <clears throat> I don't know really, because... I think a, a major problem was a book called, um, uh, oh, I forget the name, oh, The Mirage Man by uh -huh. Mark Pilkington. And that talks about how the government has used the subject to cover up other things. And that, that's another reason why a lot of cases perhaps have got uh, ignored or uh, put away in secret archives is because... Um, you know, secret aircraft were experimented with. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of them were probably United States um, projects. Um, mm -hmm. Like with Roswell, they say it could have been a, a, a sky up balloon or something like that. Right. Why nobody was able to identify the wreckage because it was a, a top secret project and we wanted to quickly, you know, bury it. And I suppose that's quite believable. And I think. The CIA has admitted that uh, it, it covered up cases um, by using a UFOs as a front because mm -hmm. I think at one time journalists, if they did come across a UFO stories, would probably ignore it, you know, and think it's a load of rubbish. Whereas at least now I think people would do a lot more digging. But um, and also, you can't rule out there might have been foreign craft being um, flown over uh, enemy territory, right? Either in Europe or um, the United States. Um, and also, like in in Sweden, there's obvious ghost rockets shortly after the Second World War. Mm -hmm. And there again, was it a case of? People seeing Soviet um, Soviets experimenting with rockets and sending them over Sweden, or is it a case of people recovering from the war and interpreting meteors and things like that as ghost rockets? And 
um, there again, no solid evidence was found for them, whereas mm-hmm. more solid evidence was found for the V1 and V2 weapons. And I think there is a really good case where people say they saw a ghost rocket land in a lake. Mm-hmm. It's been virtually impossible to find it in the lake. So it's fair again. It's uh, the subject's always sort of like there's, there's always evidence, but it's always a bit out of reach, really, either <laughs> because of physical factors, like it's on in the, in the ocean or, or a lake or um, somewhere really remote or um, it's buried in files, you know, for other reasons, not just because of, you know, any alien craft, really. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think in a way people use disclosure as a big umbrella term without really defining what it means, because obviously, particularly in the United States, there's so many different departments of defense and secret, uh, you know, FBI, CIA, DOA, and all those sorts of things. Uh, you know, opening all their files, as a, you know, there's so many other organizations you might not even know about. So I think, you know, I, th- I think that's a f- frustrating thing. And uh, it's quite interesting, somebody like Leonard Stringfield years ago collected, oh, probably easily a hundred cases of whistleblowers saying they'd seen alien bodies or spacecraft recovered, but Mm -hmm. nearly all of them were anonymous sources and they all kind of promised more information and all kind of disappeared in the end. And I suppose most people probably, you know, forgotten a lot, forgotten a lot about his research anyway, but Mm -hmm. he was digging up, you know, numerous stories of, you know, um, alien craft recoveries, um, most of which are probably long forgotten now. And I think that's a problem with this new phase of view apps. People are digging up old stories that never got anywhere in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, so I, th- I think it's just that I've been interested in the subject so long, but, you know, you kind of get a bit cynical about these things. But I think if it, if I was a newcomer to the subject, yeah, I think, oh, great, there's all these sort of um, videos by jet pilots and sightings of things by uh, the Navy and things being detected. But we've kind of been there before, really, with pilots um, same would seem things and everything and it never really got down to anything substantial you know and i think with with the past say in the 50s you got far more um cases invading um involving radar but i think mm-hmm. as radar technology has got better you have less of these sort of radar glitches and things right right um, right you know because a lot of it could be like weather anomalies and things like that, which, you know, modern systems would filter. But having said that, when um, with people like NASA and about being involved with um, studying the subject, they realise the kind of sensors and detectors they need to, need to be 
uh, re reconfigured to look for fast moving fleeting objects in the in the atmosphere and, mm -hmm. you know so far we've only had kind of fleeting glimpses of things by technology technology that wasn't built to look for ufos and i think there's quite a few organizations now are beginning to kind of sell ufo detection kits with cameras and computer um, links and everything so that i think if we want to create kind of networks where if a ufo is detected it can be kind of quickly analysed by computer and perhaps triangulated by other um, other sensors uh, elsewhere. But um, I, I think the problem is when you look look at our planet, you know how difficult it is to to even cover just a small area really with that kind of detection equipment um, and. There again, you know, what are we looking for? Is it just some really exotic meteorological phenomenon, you know, like mm -hmm. ball lightning or, or right. something else entirely? Or or you could be you could detect some exotic plasma or something, but that doesn't mean to say something else is going on in the sky as well. So you know Absolutely. So what's next for you? Well, what for my own interest? Uh, at the moment, um, I had a book out called UFO Investigations Manual, which mm -hmm. was by Haynes, which normally publishes like car maintenance manuals. But I brought that book out about 10 years ago now. And uh, basically, it was a kind of overview of a subject, the kind of beginnings of ufology, the history of a subject and the predominant um, kind of ways of looking at the subject and uh, um, investigations and theories. And, mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of gone out of print. So now we've, 10 years later, so much has happened with the subject. Uh, I'm, I'm tempted to kind of add a few chapters to it mm -hmm. and, uh, and sort of bring it out again. Uh, um, as, a, as a sort of almost like a completely revised look at the subject because so many things have changed. But um, I, I also do a monthly column for um, 14 Times where I tend to write about the kind of latest uh, um, things in ufology and or, um, or, or, or um, different resources as well because uh, that's another thing with um, the subject, um, with it, with us having the internet now and digital technology. Mm -hmm. Literally, hundreds of magazines are being digitised in Sweden by AFU. They're collecting everybody's old archives and everything, and they're putting everything online. So um, I think, it, and also people are beginning to use AI to analyze all the data as well so there's lots of new openings in the subject for studying what we already have because i think a lot of these new studies are looking uh, at 
collecting new material. Right. To look at the past, but as kind of amateur observers, I think it's worth us being aware of what's in the past as well, because otherwise you're just you're just repeating the same mistakes and and, mm-hmm. and not knowing what what's gone before. Really, I think that 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 is another trouble with the current phase that quite a few other people involved seem to have little or no interest in the past or seem to be a bit ignorant of some of the older cases that probably right. put bearing on, on the subject. But like I say, really, um, there's so many facets to the subject that, uh, you know, sometimes it, it's good to just look at one specific area and uh, just concentrate on that and that's kind of what i did with the betty and barney hill case because i thought you know that's a good sort of focal point to kind of spin out other ideas Mm -hmm. um, so there's always plenty going on (laughs) well i want to thank you for coming on tonight i really appreciate it yeah thank you very much and we'll try to get yeah we'll try to get you back on a later date to talk more about this Okay, thank you very much. Bye bye. Okay, how can people find you? Um, I'm on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page, UFO Investigations Manual, and um, I also um, there's a website called the Pelicanist Blog, and mm-hmm. that um, has um, a lot of archives about Magonia Magazine and latest book reviews. And I, 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 every month or so, I contribute a few UFO book reviews as well. So um, if, you, if anyone looks up for Pelicanist blog, that's, that's a handy okay. way of looking up things. Fair enough. All right, you have a good rest of your evening, sir. Yeah, good night. Good night. Bye. Have a great one. Bye. Wow, that was terrific. Learned so much. Sorry about that. My, my allergies are really bad, so I'm having to, like, open and close my eyes a lot. It really bites. I hate when it gets this bad. But it is hot here, I'll tell you for sure. Anyway, uh, tomorrow we're back at our usual time, and we're going to kind of be on the same subject a little bit here. Mary A. Joyce is with us, and I've been, I've been trying to get her on for a long time. And she has, uh, I'm not going to say conspiracy theories, but but she's she, she, she's had connections at, what does she call connections at NASA and, and things for some different stories. And, and one of the most intriguing ones that I find is that the NASA astronauts on the space shuttle had met with alien beings and, and, and they caught it on fil- live on film. And then NASA supposedly hid the, 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 the video of that. So we're going to be talking with her about stuff like that tomorrow. So that'll be our usual time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. All right. Okay. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. We're just trying to get the word out about our show. You know, if, if you're watching today and, and, and you like the show and, and there's other people in your house or wherever, say, hey, come here, this is a cool show that I like watching. It's a little show, but but it's got good stuff. Please do that because we are just trying to get the word out. And for every person that, that talks to three or four people about the show, it spreads the word, and then those people come watch the show, and then they spread the word, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming today, and I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I'll leave you with his information, and uh, have a great day. Websites, talkingpix.co.uk. So it's T-A-L.
K-A-I-N-G-P-I-X.co.uk and Facebook.com. Okay. Uh, Captured by Aliens is, is one of the books, and The Alien Deception is another book that he's got out. UFO and UFOs First World UFOs the First World War. And of course you can get those at Amazon. Okay, guys, I will see you tomorrow at 6 30 p.m. Pacific. Hopefully my allergies are gonna be a lot better. But uh, I really appreciate him coming on. It's a fascinating topic. I'm, I'm totally fascinated by this stuff. So I really, I, I really enjoyed today's show, and I hope you did too. All right. That being said, have a great rest of your day or evening or, or, or whatever you're doing, and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>